हेलो एंड वेलकम टू एपिसोड नंबर 27 ऑन कॉन्वर्सेशंस ऑन इंडिया लेट मी जस्ट वेट फॉर व्यास टू ज्वाइन इन टुडे द टॉपिक्स दैट विल बी डिस्कसिंग आर फर्स्ट विल बी अबाउट द एडमिनिस्ट्रेटिव रिफॉर्म्स दैट आर नीडेड दैट वाज प्रॉमिस्ड इन द लास्ट वीडियो Uh, regarding the incident in tripura that had taken place the slapping of uh, people that had come to attend marriage and the priest by the uh, ias officer uh, the next issue will be about the police reforms uh, prison reforms basically that are needed uh, owing to the conditions of the prisons that are present in india and the last topic and the most important topic i think so uh, that is on everyone's mind apart from covid uh, is the israel and Palestine issue, the Hamas group. So uh, we'll also be joining. Uh, we'll also be joined by a special guest uh, today, uh, Abhay. So wait, let me just add them here. Hello. Hi Panda, nice haircut. जितने बाल हैं उससे हमें यही मिलता है. Hey, hi Abhay. Hi, hi Ras. All right, so let's get started, Panda. Okay. Uh, so I think so. The first topic that uh, we'll start with today. Just a second. Yeah. The first topic that we'll start with today uh, will be regarding the administrative reforms. Uh, I'll just give a background, and then you know, uh, I'll know that uh, what are your views on that, and what Abhay, you as an outsider, feel about the Indian administrative services. Presently, even though we are outsiders, okay. So uh, the incident that took place in Tripura was that an IAS officer uh, went to a marriage function. In fact, two marriage functions. and uh, they had written permissions that that were allotted uh, to them for conducting the marriage in the time of covid but he went and uh, he did some uh, th- there were some mis happenings he thrashed the uh, priest and all this was recorded live on a video and after which he was suspended you know so this again raised a question of uh, what is the need of indian uh, administrative reforms uh, what are the reforms needed in the bureaucracy because bureaucracy Uh, till now carries a colonial mindset along with it so uh, this is the insight that we'll be discussing on that what are the reforms needed and i would like to uh, basically get an introduction from both of you that what you feel about indian administrative services and the reforms that are required uh, why don't you start vyas hey i'm sorry uh, there was lag there can yeah. i repeat uh, i just want yeah i just want you to uh, tell that what you feel uh, is the uh, thing that is missing in our uh, indian administrative services the reforms that are required and uh, what do you think of this recent incident and uh, what are the steps that needs to be taken to prevent such incidents in future yeah so uh, the first thing is that uh, uh, i think the bureaucracy has time and again failed us uh when we look at what has happened during the pandemic uh what has happened with the vaccine production and uh, what generally happens with the uh, delivery of schemes of governance uh, where uh, rajiv gandhi uh, 35 years ago i think said that main 1 rupaye bhejta hu aur 15 paise pahunchte hain so uh, i i think uh, there is a deep uh, uh, there is something very deeply wrong uh, about the indian uh, indian bureaucracy and uh, I, i think uh, you mentioned that it started uh, in the colonial times in fact it was a tool uh, you know crafted by the politicians in order to control uh, control the public and and in fact it it has uh, it has been around longer than parliamentary democracy itself uh, it it was first started um, by you know under the monarchy and uh, worldwide bureaucracies have have a bad name and it is no surprise that in india as well uh, there is like a, a, you know a deep unsatisfaction Uh, um, among the people uh, with our bureaucracy 
now uh, what can we do to improve it so i think uh, we need to look at uh, some examples of bureaucracies that are actually performing well and and uh, one case in point is uh, the bureaucracy of china so uh, uh, although there is not much that we can copy from china but i think uh, bureaucratically they have done quite well uh, and and one of the things that they implemented was uh, skin in the game for the bureaucrats so uh, w- what happens in india is it's very hard to punish a bureaucrat no matter how powerful you are it is very hard to fire a bureaucrat it is very hard to you know uh, give them some sort of punishment for their official acts and and uh, the bureaucracy acts as like a labor union so so the whole bureaucracy you know sort of gets together and whenever you uh, try to punish one of them uh, sort of there is a rebellion from the entire bureaucracy so there is really no skin in the game a bureaucrat uh, for his own actions can never be punished and uh, that introduces inefficiency in the system so what the chinese did is they 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 devised a system where uh, there was district level gdp figures and uh, you, the promotions of the bureaucrats were on the basis of how much growth did they produce in their own district which brought a level of skin in the game for the bureaucrats and and now the bureaucrat had to really perform well in order to get promoted in order to you know uh, he had to provide the right regulatory conditions to the businesses in in the district uh, so that they can produce and and they can grow uh, whereas we, if you look at the situation in india uh, there are uh, transfers among the bureaucracy are very common uh, some of the worst governed states in india have the lowest average tenure of bureaucrats so for example uh, states like uttar pradesh and bihar transfers are really common uh, an average bureaucrat only serves less than 6 months in 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 the position so that uh, really doesn't offer uh, much uh, time for them to implement some sort of reforms and even those who are uh, you know actually uh, well intentioned uh, uh, like uh, we ha- we do have well intentioned people in the bureaucracy and there are people who actually want to do good uh, but uh, they are sort of suppressed by the system and uh, I, i think the second big problem uh, about the indian bureaucracy is the political interference so uh, as an example in the state of haryana uh, the uh, state legislative assembly only met for 11 days out of 365 days so uh, one should ask like what are these legislators doing if not meeting in the legislative assembly the answer is that they are interfering with the local bureaucrats uh, they are telling the local bureaucrat what to do and if the bureaucrat does not follow he get transferred uh, the, another bureaucrat comes in if he doesn't follow he gets transferred until they get someone who sort of follows what they say so uh, i think uh, there is a close nexus between uh, bureaucracy and and the elected uh, officials that we have so so uh, we need to figure out a system where that can be broken up and and until these structural reforms are introduced i have very little hope uh, uh, from from our bureaucracy right away your take on uh, indian bureaucrats what do you feel is the situation for a common man to approach the bureaucrats or Uh, how do they act what is the colonial mindset that these people at these uh, positions you know? i'm not going to comment on indian bureaucrats because uh, <laughs> i do not want any repercussions from you guys especially from you panda uh, although i do want to take one point which vyas mentioned about the chinese bureaucracy so even though the chinese bureaucracy the bureaucrats do have a, a gdp target to fulfill but that also has its downsides you see a lot of fudging going on there and especially you see a lot of bad infrastructure like ghost cities which never get used which are only built so just so just so the so that the bureaucrat can boost its numbers so there are downsides to that as well apart from this i am not going to comment anything on indian bureaucracy okay 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 fine uh, points taken uh, from vyas and avay so what uh, i feel is now i'll just give in what i feel uh, are the reforms and the issues that are needed the first issue that uh, vyas you have mentioned is that there is no proper evaluation and comparison uh, of these uh, data i think so that is required you know uh, the national family health survey states that there is a, a stunting of over 30% whereas if you go by the states numbers the numbers that states give and if you average that number it uh, amounts to hardly 2 to 3% of stunting so these numbers need to be evaluated and compared and we put on the uh, websites and this is where the bureaucracy uh, will you know uh, uh, act uh, that if if they see the number uh, that that is lying in front of them uh, they can act better the second thing is the promotion you know uh, that that should and uh, it can be uh, on the basis of the development that they do on the districts and there needs to be fixed a time frame such as uh, it is fixed for the uh, planning commission uh, 
uh, it was for the planning commission or for the eci or for the finance commission so there needs to be a minimum te uh, tenure for which a bureaucrat should stay on a, a position of say cabinet secretary or even a district commissioner and he should be accountable for the uh, acts that are performed or the uh, or his promotion should depend on uh, the performance that he does and that performance should be evaluated and compared with other bureaucrats uh that is a very good uh, point that you had mentioned and also i would like to uh, mention one controversial point uh, just to break this uh, taboo that uh, abhay has in his mind so i think so we should remove the deadlocks uh, deadlocks uh, by deadlocks i mean the bureaucrats that are not performing because uh, in bureaucracy there is a fixed tenure of promotion you know uh, after every 5 uh, year there is a uh, promotion to uh, next level uh, the pay scale increases so i think so uh, the ones that are not performing can be removed and the option of uh lateral entry uh, can be thought of uh, we'll be discussing about that uh, in a more detail of the uh, lateral entry apart from this uh, i think so we also uh, need to understand that having election every 5 years is not what democracy is uh, the non performance of democracy uh, the non performance of bureaucrats is a result of this failed democracy the uh, system that we have uh, sprung up is a result of the democracy and politicians and bureaucrats they are working in excess Uh, as you mentioned that haryana uh, only had 11 days uh, 11 average days in last 5 years uh, so yes what they were basically doing is they were interfering with the bureaucrats and there have been cases uh, i would not name any minister uh, because you know i am still an aspirant and i would uh, let it be that way apart from that uh, the second thing is yahi to dikkat hai yahi to galat ho rahe hain log bolne hi nahi chahte <laughs> my my this point will my my this point will be justified by the next topic that is prison reforms because saying anything okay. against the minister can land you in a prison and the condition of presence is not yeah. very good the second thing is uh, we have had numerous numerous committees you know uh, be it uh, for the police reforms the prakash singh uh, judgment of supreme court and numerous committees but we have not had the implementation of the recommendation of those committees so i think so that is one thing that is missing and uh, th this can go on forever Uh, we can have the best of solutions, uh, the best theoretical solutions, but they cannot be implemented in practical uh, till the time the political will uh, does so. So I think so there is a uh, nexus between the political will and the bureaucrats uh, together. Yeah, guys. Yeah. So uh, I think on on that point, I would like to uh, come in. So uh, uh, you just mentioned that uh, there have been committees uh, which have been trying to reform the police system and the administrative system. And uh, in fact, the administrative reform commission is quite popular and. uh so so that has been the trend of uh, action in india where uh, most of the action is designed in a top down manner uh, where where there is a committee uh, which has uh, career bureaucrats uh, who uh, promise to reform the bureaucracy uh, despite having served in the same bureaucracy for 50 years i i really don't understand like what sort of new ideas can that person have after uh, you know being part of the system for so long uh, but uh, not digressing and coming to coming to my main point that is that uh, before trying to uh, you know manage the system the first step is to actually measure uh, the system and i think abhay was mentioning this that uh, there is a lot of fudging of numbers going on and uh, which is something that the indian bureaucracy is also guilty of so uh, for example uh, we have not had farmer suicide numbers come out in the last 5 years the reason is the numbers are too bad uh, we, we we don't really know what is the imr or the uh, maternal mortality rate in states like bihar and uttar pradesh again the reason is the numbers are too bad so uh, my point being and, and and we do not know the average uh, tenure of a bureaucrat in in these states also because again the number is too bad so uh, the, the 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 point i'm trying to make is that we need to first have a system to measure and only then can we manage so um, uh, i think niti aayog in, in this regard has had has taken some steps with it has come out with some indices which are pan india and uh, it, it sort of has uh, the hand of pmo above it so uh, you know uh, other bureaucrats cannot really interfere with the measuring uh, that niti uh, aayog does so i think that is a step in the right direction we need to increase this measurement down to the very grassroots level uh, why don't we have the right numbers for every district why don't we have them for every village uh, if if we have the right numbers then it becomes easy to hold people accountable it becomes easy to check on policies uh, we can uh, try and understand what is working what is not working we can replicate what is working and we can stop doing what is not working so unless we have a measurement system in place it is very difficult with top down reforms to kind of reform the whole system uh, if if let's say tomorrow there is a legislation and uh, the whole set of uh, recommendations made by the committee is implemented i i don't really think it is going to change the situation on ground very much because uh, I, i mean uh, th those reforms are top down uh, they they are designed in a one size fits all fashion 
uh, whereas india is a diverse country uh, we need uh, separate solutions for like uh, all, all 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 separate parts of the country and uh, measurement is the first step so uh, we, we should have publicly available data which measures the perform, performance of of these bureaucrats which measures governance in in india and only then uh, you know we can begin to take the right steps the only thing i uh, like about uh, similarity between china and india i don't actually like the only thing i find similar is the hiding of facts and datas yes i think right. so the acceptance of data is first step towards development right uh, mm-hmm. bangladesh uh, is a nation that is performing better than india in most of the uh, factors as of now uh, it wasn't performing uh, 10 years back but india has only degraded not uh, again pointing to the government but the thing is that this government has a tendency and even the past governments have had a tendency of hiding the data that are not favorable to them especially uh, the best example can be of the uh, plfs the uh, unemployment rate were very high so the data was hidden just before the elections and it was uh, released after uh, there were resignations from the members of mosp after the elections were uh, done with so i think so yes mm-hmm. hiding of data is one very important uh, i would say failure of this government and also the previous governments uh, that our neighbor nations such as bangladesh have accepted and they have improved upon and uh, uh, hmm. niti ayog i think so uh, having the hand of pmo can act better in this way that it is independent from the uh, stripes and hands of the bureaucrats that can impact it so uh, this is hmm. this is one thing apart from this uh, there's also this uh, thing that goes on Uh, the scatter based services this uh, ies ips uh, thing there is always a need for having ies and ips in all the administrative fields be it railways uh, be it in the administration of uh, say technical services be in the administration of doordarshan services where indian informative services are better fit to be so what do you think uh, even uh, i want both of your views on the lateral entry principle that uh, what do you uh, think can the lateral entry uh, bring a reform or change about in the mindset of the uh, civil servants Uh, as to how they are functioning and uh, what impact can it have on the civil services okay do you want to go first uh no not really uh yes you can go first okay all right so uh, i uh, so uh, the point about lateral entry right so uh, I, i i think it is a step in the right direction but it is obviously going to be opposed by by all the bureaucrats who are uh, there uh, presently so uh, we should uh, try to understand this very carefully uh, the ias and ips are, are like a select club and and uh, the more uh, sort of outsiders that they allow to come in the more their power their own power reduces so uh, it, it it is going to be very hard for any uh, you know politician or to sort of implement such a reform because uh, there is a high resistance to any kind of outside interference or uh, to to the select uh, group of people because uh, they have a system where only 70 new people are coming in every year and and they sort of want to limit that uh, because uh, you know scarcity adds to their power the less that their number is it, it's it's kind of like uh, you know a harvard admissions so the worst thing that a harvard dean can do is is say that we are going to take in 100000 people from next year and uh, we we're going to expand and uh, you know serve a global audience and you know have a more harvard graduates so that will just reduce the market value of a harvard graduate if there are 100000 harvard graduates every year the only reason that harvard graduates are valuable is because there is very few of them and and people really want to hire them so uh, the, the same principle sort of applies with the ias and the ips uh, why why they are resisting outside interference and sort of uh, expanding uh, the number of uh, people in the service is because It, it will reduce their own uh, power, and and uh, India actually has the one of the lowest number of uh, you know support staff uh, uh, per per population. So uh, number of bureaucrats or number of administrators that we have divided by population is the lowest in the world. And uh, despite being uh, you know despite being there, there is a long line of people who want to get in. Uh, so uh, I mean there are uh, millions of people, us included, who who are sort of sitting for exams year after year. and uh, you know uh, trying to get in but there are a very limited number of seats and again the principle is that they want to limit uh, the number of people so that uh, you know uh, the, the scarcity is maintained so uh, this requires political will and and it will be hugely unpopular whoever does it uh, it, it 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 is bound to be hugely unpopular right so uh, apart from lateral entry abhay uh, since you are an i am graduate uh, not an i am graduate basically but uh, 
the uh, MBA graduate. Would you not like to be in the uh, position of, say, managing a government uh, company or uh, something uh, sort of that? Uh, if the opportunity is provided to you uh, in middle of your career, say after 15 years uh, of you serving in a uh, international company, your expertise might be used better uh, with the government of India. Uh, so, uh, would you not uh, find that as an attractive option uh, and your retainment in that service uh, will only depend on the performance that you are uh, giving, you know, not compared to what IS uh, officers presently have, that they have a fixed promotion and their uh, retainment and their promotion depends on the uh, years that they spend instead of the per, uh, performance that they give. So, don't you think that it will be uh, fairer for the outsiders to uh, have an impact in this field? Well, I cannot not sure what I will prefer 15 years down the line, but I can be sure that there will be very capable uh, people who will be willing to take that position. And the other thing with lateral entry is that, you see, what if you guys join as an, when you guys join as an IS officer, look at what your experiences are. So you have prepared for UPSC. It's a tough exam. It requires a lot of hard work, but you're not specializing on railways. There's some uh, audio issue, I guess. Yeah, I, I think Abhay is having some network issues. Yeah, Abhay is having some connectivity issue. Right, anyways, uh, mm -hmm. we'll take his view when he's back. Uh, apart from that, I think so, Vyas, uh, there's this principle of subsidiarity that is something that is always discussed when we talk about civil service reforms, that instead of yep. having a top-to-bottom uh, approach, decentralization, this of, uh, subsidiarity, that the positions uh, that are best to do this work is the position where the work is needed, uh, such as the local uh, panchayats are best to do works for the local uh, panchayats, the uh, local level, basically, for the Gram Sabha level. So do you think that uh, this principle can be applied in this uh, civil service reforms? finding new civil servants in the ground level? Right, right. Uh, so uh, again, uh, this is a question of devolution of power. So uh, we, we want uh, a higher authority so to give up some of their power uh, to a lower authority uh, in, in order to, you know, uh, for, for better governance. Uh, now again, uh, the, there are misaligned incentives here. Uh, whereas the local uh, level of government would want more power, the higher level of government would not want to give it away. So uh, these are uh, some things uh, that are very hard to solve when the system is already in place. So uh, I mean, it would have been much easier for the constituent, constituent assembly to implement, but it is very hard for the uh, parliament to implement now. So uh, that is why I, I think uh, decentralization is, is, is a positive and, and it is sorely needed in the Indian context. But uh, again, uh, implementing it is, is, is very, very hard. And, and I don't really see an easy solution. Right. Are your views uh, on the little entry in the MBA part? Yeah. So as I was saying, I don't know what I will prefer 15 years down the line, but there will be a lot of people who will be interested in that. Uh, a good example, which comes to my mind was Air India. So Air India, if you go back in time, it wasn't doing that bad. But then the ministry, I don't know with who's backing, bought a lot of planes. It They bought so many planes that they didn't even have routes pre-planned for those planes. Now, someone from an airline industry who knows how competitive this industry is might have taken Air India to, a, to another direction where today it, won't be, it wouldn't have been such a massive pain for the government and then to us as taxpayers. So yes, later entry, especially, especially for very specialized roles, for example, heading Air India, it should be allowed because I don't see how a UPSC aspirant who they, they cast a very wide net during their preparation. They do study very hard, but they don't have specialized knowledge on a particular, on, on a particular subject. So I, I, I just feel that they might not be the best suited candidate for the, those, those sort of things. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I agree with Abhay there. I, I think uh, no amount of bookish knowledge uh, can result in the empirical knowledge uh, that is required to run an organization like Air India or for that matter, any other PSU. So uh, we, we need people who have experience uh, running these organizations to sort of come in and, and take them over. And, and I think uh, 
this point also goes uh, on to the wider privatization debate uh, that is going on and and with which the current government is taking on so so uh, th th that will solve a lot of these problems automatically because uh, when when these companies are part of the government are like you know subsidiary to the government it is very hard to bring in an external person uh, it, it's just hard to get the required approvals from the bureaucratic chain but when it is uh, privately owned uh, then uh, sort of profit maximization takes over and automatically uh, you know the best person to run the company sort of uh, emerges uh, to the top so so yeah i i think uh, a privatization is, is is the right step uh, when we talk about uh, these public sector uh, companies and uh, yeah, as far as little entities are concerned more experience uh, of of the industry is is required not just in running uh, companies but also in governance so uh, i i mean uh, again the, the bookish knowledge uh, despite uh, having read so many books it it does not teach us how to actually run an efficient government or uh, it it does not teach us how how to do things effectively and and we actually see that in some of the uh, that are designed uh, which you know have have uh, no uh, sort of basis behind them and and uh, we really need people uh, with experience in the real world uh, who have sort of done things on the ground or uh, to 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 you know or uh, take over and bring some of their own ideas into uh, uh, into governance right uh, i think so uh, your points uh, can even be stated in such a way that in specialized technical fields uh, the uh, entry the lateral entry is a much needed step while the civil services can be limited to the social reforms that are uh, generalized in nature such as health education uh, on the grassroots level you know uh, they can act as a coordinating body between the center and state but where uh, ever there are issues of technical expertise uh, such as uh, ministry specialized ministry you know uh, we we can have people that have uh, spent uh, good amount of their lives 10 to 15 years of lives and have gained uh, experience in list of reform Uh, goes on for uh, indian administrative services there is no end to this because uh, the issues that plague them are infinite they are not ready to give up power but i think so we have to limit our discussion uh, to only uh, such discussions as of now uh, and the tripura incident yes uh, it was an unfortunate incident and uh, there have been statements that have been coming from uh, you know former bureaucrats uh, including anil swarup such as that uh, he does not re uh, represent the fraternity of other civil servants and uh, steps like that also i think so the uh, another the last important reform that is needed is the reforms uh, in the mind of uh, citizens as to uh, they need to become more participant uh, in uh, in a democracy and they need to demand more uh, they they don't need to fear such as abhay's fearing and uh, stuff like that second thing is that uh, i think so technology can play a very important role uh, the this incident was reflected only because you know people uh, had this app technology they recorded the video and they uploaded uh, to the social media so i think so uh, in the present day that also plays an important role so i think so uh, that is it for this topic uh, on uh, today vyas why don't you take up the next topic all right yeah so uh, the, the next topic uh, is is going to be uh, around the uh, recent unrest that you have seen in the uh, middle east uh, especially in the israel palestine conflict and uh, what i will first do is to sort of uh, lay down the context the historical context in which uh these events are taking place and then uh, after that i will invite you guys in for your views and then uh, finally uh, uh, i i mean it it is a very hard problem and we are not expecting to solve this in like 20 minutes of discussion that we going to have but 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 we will will try to sort of relate it uh, to to what is going on in india uh, and and uh, sort of the uh, uh, the brand of politics that happens in in israel is is very similar to the brand of politics that is going that is happening right now in india so so we will sort of try to relate it uh, on on those lines so uh, first of all uh, this area uh, especially uh, jerusalem as a city uh, is is the home of uh, you know uh, three uh, big religions of of the world uh, so uh, uh, so the, this has been a widely con contested area and and the history really goes back to 1000 years when uh, the roman emperor hadrian he sort of started evicting jews uh, from this area so so he killed many of them and uh, others fled uh, which which is when uh, sort of the uh, arabs or the arabs uh, you know uh, populated this area uh, and and uh, that is how the modern state of palestine and their claim to the area came about uh, but uh, historically before 2000 years it it was the homeland of the jews and uh, you know uh, this, this is where uh, th their ancestors come from so so that is one point 
now uh, coming to the arabs so um, if if we look at the middle east uh, so uh, actually this can be a question so i'll just briefly go over all the countries that are in the middle east so in africa we have egypt and sudan uh, which are part of the middle east then uh, israel uh, jordan saudi arabia yemen oman iraq iran uh, kuwait and uh, lebanon syria turkey so th- this sort of forms the middle east now in this uh, turkey and uh, iran are the two countries which which are not arab so so um, these are, are like a separate ethnicity from arabs and actually uh, there are four other arabian countries apart from uh, the, the middle east so those are morocco and uh, libya and so on so the northern uh, countries of africa they, they are also arab so uh, the the problem began when uh, uh, the, the british after world war 1 uh, sort of came out in support for a jewish homeland so uh, the, the jews uh, even before hitler did it uh they they were prosecuted in france and in russia uh in, in the 19th century and and uh, a lot of jews were sort of trickling in uh, to, to the uh, place where modern israel is is located by 1939 the situation was such that 50% of that area was populated by jews and the other 50% was by arabs whereas like for the uh, you know for the last 2000 years it was mainly arab but because of the persecutions in europe uh, sort of the influx of jews uh became uh, bigger and bigger and and by the time world war 2 started already 50% of the people living in the area were uh, jews and then as we know uh, the persecutions by hitler uh, sort of only increased uh, the, the influx of jews into the area and after uh, world war 2 uh, uh, the state of israel came together so as soon as it came together the uh, arab states around israel united and launched a war on israel so uh, we are talking lebanon jordan syria and uh, egypt so so these four states uh, sort of attacked israel on the day it was formed in 1948 uh, that was a 1948 49 war there have been four wars so 48 49 the suez war 56 uh, the uh, 67 war uh, the 60 war and then the yom kippur war of 1973 so uh, i i mean uh, let's not go into the ball by ball commentary of of the uh, of of the wars uh, but the issue is between jews and arabs uh arabs claim that uh, this is their country uh, the jews came in and uh, they sort of dislocated the palestinians and uh, we will throw the jews into the mediterranean sea and we'll we'll take them out whereas the jews claim uh, that this is their homeland uh, this is where everything started and and they have you know uh, they, they claim the right uh, uh, from that level and uh, historically it has been a place of uh, geopolitics it has been a theater of geopolitics so uh, right now we are seeing usa and china sort of come into this uh, and uh, before that it was the us and the ussr uh, which were vying for this area even before that it was the british and the russians so so this has been a theater of uh, international geopolitics and uh, that sort of points to the wider problem that if we actually leave the jews and the palestinian arabs alone then uh, humans uh, human affairs are such that that they like peace nobody likes war Uh, they, they like to trade. They like to go on picnics. But uh, when we introduce sort of international uh, pressures in, into the situation and outsiders, that is when uh, the trouble begins. And and that has happened, you know, over and over again. Uh, when we go back uh, to the Romans two uh, thousand years ago, it was an outside force which which evicted the Jews. Then uh, in in when the Israel was created, it was again the British who who were outsiders. And and now uh, Israel is being supported by the US. so so again uh, these are outside forces which are you know influencing the area so so sort of i i was going only going to lay the context but i've given the my whole take on this but uh, i would definitely like your so uh, uh, abey why don't you go first well the first thing in this conflict uh, which comes to my mind is the corresponding politics of israel palestine their neighboring countries and the rest of the world so if you look at arab countries uh, egypt had egypt had gamal abdel nasser uh, syria had uh, assad senior hafiz hafiz al assad if i recall correctly so initially when the arabs invaded israel so you can say that there was some sort of pan arab nationalism every arab supported those arab countries and uh, they lost the war and israel conquered even more area but from that point you see that the sense of pan arab nationalism has declined in the political regions uh, in the, in that political region and that you can see in that conflict as well so gamal abdel nasser and uh, hafiz al assad they were quite anti syria they they had they have fought multiple wars with them 
but apart from them jordan made peace with israel when they uh, when when israel had conquered west bank after that uh, when israel had conquered sinai peninsula egypt made its peace so that it can get sinai peninsula back who kept fighting it was syria syria kept fighting because hafiz al assad needed support back back home because if you see hafiz al assad comes from the shia minority of syria and they need some some outside villain to keep them intact lebanon has very complex history we, we will not go there but the rest of the arab countries for example saudi arabia uae these guys even though they cannot go and publicly say that okay we are fine with israel because they are it cannot be a posture of the government back home but you see that behind behind the curtains relations have started to normalize and in that context palestinians the conflict which started as a arab israeli conflict has shifted more towards only palestinians the rest of the arab world has more or less made its peace with syria they like pandas like we are said they do not want to kick jews out of the mediterranean now the for palestinians it's a different issue because they lost their homeland and what what's going on on a human level is very difficult to support now it now let's look at the rest of the world india i i want, I want to talk about india because india walks a very fine line we have very good relations with israel we buy a ton of weapons from them but we then go on and vote against them in the un <laughs> which which boggles my mind just how that happens but it does happen usa is a different beast altogether there is a there is a sizable conservative chunk of christians there which i don't know i i haven't met them but from what i've read they believe in all the armageddon stuff and they believe that the coming back of uh, jews back to israel will uh, kick off armageddon and christ will come back and all that and of course i haven't met them but that's what i've read there is that the world is also quite religious but if you look at europe europe again has quite a neutral stance on this issue which again europe is not that religious so the the politics surrounding that issue, that region is is very interesting in my opinion as well right now if we want to talk about specific issues we can uh, so for example water reforms in, the, in those area even if you were to carve out land between palestine and israel which even though it looks very difficult there are multiple other issues for example water is a very big issue there right so uh, we'll go on to these details of what is preventing them uh, from you know uh, reconciling but uh, yes we have had this brief introduction on uh, what the geopolitics is now i would also you know uh, what i personally feel uh, owing to the present context the present war that is going on uh, i think so it is uh, mr nathan yahoo the uh, israeli prime minister who has not uh, won a clear political uh, support as of now and uh, it is his uh, political uh, political traction uh, that is making him do such thing this is the first uh, thing that i feel uh, i'll have your views on second thing is i think so there is this declining role of us in the israel uh, and the middle east conflict uh, the arab nations are only acting as a uh, an ideal card they are not uh, as such supporting the palestinian issues that uh, that used to occur earlier uh, as have been uh, pointed out by away the second thing is that uh, trump was very clear with respect to his middle east policy he had already uh, granted full support to israel and he had even declared uh, and uh, shifted his uh, embassy to jerusalem so that had uh, sent a clear cut signal to both the israelis and the palestinians that palestinians uh, were to not attack the israelis and uh, israel had an upper hand uh, as of that so there was relative stability in that region for uh, in the trump era i think so what now has changed is that uh, the biden administration has both type of people the progressive people that are the humanitarian people that are you know uh, not vouching for israel to attack or uh, they, they don't want a conflict and then there are these conservatives that uh, abey has been talking about so uh, this is one thing that is kicking these but uh, i would like to take your view on uh, do you think that the role of us uh, lately is declining in the uh, relationships in middle east as uh, it had declined for us uh, as it had declined for russia and what do you think uh, is the new uh, equation that is coming up between the uh, iran and saudi arabia talks that have recently started on the israel issue why don't we start with you guys 
Yeah. So uh, I, I think uh, US has uh, sort of um, misplayed its hand. Uh, although historically it has been aligned uh, with, with Israel, uh, but uh, sort of uh, coming out in uh, you know support of of Israel directly, uh, you know, uh, compromises its position as the global power and and sort of as as the balancing hand of 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 the world uh, where. Uh, audio issues yeah 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 so so i i was saying that a real uh, when when there were talks between israel and palestine they used to happen in camp david uh, where uh, you know uh, us used to act as as the place where uh, talks would happen but right now uh, ever since the trump administration uh, they have come out in support of israel completely and and uh, they have lost Uh, uh, their place as as sort of a, a, a you know forum for argumentation and and that space has now been taken up uh, by by China. So I I think Pandey, you are right in your assessment that uh, sort of the role of US is receding in in, in global politics and uh, it it sort of has uh, lost its place as the unipolar head of the world uh, where uh, sort of two fighting states can come together and you know uh, discuss peace, uh, which which is no longer happening. And when you leave space in in international relations are uh, there is somebody else who sort of comes in and tries to occupy that space so 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 uh, we we were seeing that uh, you know china is trying to occupy that space and uh, the, the chinese have uh, voiced their support for a two state solution uh, uh, which uh, which is uh, interesting so uh, if 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 the chinese are able to get through uh, with their two state solution then that would uh, mean you know an immense addition to the prestige of china as a sort of uh, solving a key issue in, in in global geopolitics so so i i think us has sort of misplayed uh, its uh, in in uh, you know coming out in in support of israel uh, completely uh, despite all the humanitarian uh, crisis that israel has caused so uh, as, as as we know uh, that uh, in the, in the west bank in the gaza strip uh, the the hamas terrorist organization is is doing bad stuff and it deserve to be punished but but uh, all all the other uh, peaceful people uh, who who are sort of uh, out out of school and they're killing journalists and they're killing and they're sort of destroying civilian uh, buildings uh, which is uh, causing you know uh, a massive uproar and uh, despite israel having the global support is somehow losing that uh, by by causing these uh, this humanitarian disaster uh, which it is doing so uh, i i i think uh, that there has been uh, you know uh, this right shift in in israeli politics so uh, as you were mentioning that benjamin netanyahu is uh, sort of wants to firm up his support at home and that is why he he's taking this hard nosed uh, uh, right wing politics uh, which which sort of happens when you shift the public opinion to the right so now the average israeli actually believes that uh, there is no end to the solution and we need to you know evict all the palestinians and until then there cannot be peace on on israel uh, whereas earlier uh, in 1992 when there was a liberal government in power And, and not Benjamin Netanyahu, who was the father of Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, so, so at that point, there was the Oslo Accord signed. When, uh, when uh, uh, you know, there was peace between uh, Israel and the PLO, uh, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. But, but, but uh, now, uh, uh, what has happened is, uh, all the average Israeli believes that the right way is to kill all the Palestinians or like make them run away from Israel so that we can have our homeland only to ourselves. so so uh, uh, that is what happens when politics shifts to the right uh, as as it is also happening in india and and this is like a microcosm for for how situation can devolve and how the public can start wanting war uh, when 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 the situation doesn't really uh, you know uh, uh, doesn't really uh, justify war so uh, i i mean uh, the uh, the average palestinian uh, is is not powerful enough to actually challenge israel Uh, Israel is a global power, uh, as Abhay was mentioning. They, they manufacture weapons, they supply weapons across the globe. So, so uh, no terrorist organization uh, emerging out of uh, Palestine can actually challenge uh, the Israeli state. So, uh, a, a full-scale war is not actually justified in this situation. But because of the politics at home, and because uh, the average uh, Israeli newspaper is demanding war every day, uh, the, the politicians are under pressure to actually prosecute the war. so so uh, this is what happens when you shift the politics to the right and and it it, it is an example and and we need to be very careful here as well because uh, like whatever solution that comes up in the israel palestine issue a similar solution uh, will then uh, you know uh, 
will be implemented for Kashmir as well. So, Miller uh, and uh, historically also uh, many historians sort of relate one to the other. And and if we see a solution where uh, there is complete eviction of Palestinians and the Israeli state is established, then that will have implications for Kashmir as well. So, so in, in India, India needs to be careful and and we should learn from this. Right. Uh, see, I I'll just state one uh, fact before chipping away in that in US UNSC United Nations Security Council recently uh, there are 15 members, five permanent and ten non-permanent members. So 14 members had voted for immediate intervention of UN, but it was always vetoed by only one member that was the US, you know, presently. Uh, so Biden is again not clear. He does not want to support it. He does not want to oppose it. You know, you cannot let me uh, let me live. You cannot let me die. Uh, type of situation. The second thing is. In United Nations Security Council, Israel-Palestine issue is the second oldest issue that is still hanging on and that has not been resolved. Obviously, the oldest one being Kashmir. So uh, this is one thing that they are linked to. Yes. Uh, uh, second thing is, uh, is uh, I would like to uh, take your views away on what are the humanitarian crises uh, that are bound to rise because uh, it is like an uh, unarmed nation, the Palestinian issue, or even I would say the Hamas group, they are, un uh, they are armed, but only with primitive uh, technologies against the uh, superpower Israel, you know, uh, that has uh, weapons that are, uh, you know, even uh, even mightier than US in some sense, in the Iron Dome defense system and stuff like that. So what are your take on the humanitarian system? Uh, and how do you think is this situation uh, going to end, if ever it's going to end? Well, before I talk about those issues, uh, the humanitarian issues and Pal Palestine week, week uh, we have discussed a lot about American politics and Israeli politics. But uh, another thing which uh, kind of increases this conflict is the Palestinian politics itself. So Palestine, if you see on the map, it's divided between West Bank and Gaza Strip. In 90s, these two were ruled by different parties. The West Bank was ruled by the Palestine Authority, which was controlled by Fateh. And uh, Hamas won the election in 1993, if I recall correctly. Now, these two parties, yeah, these two parties have actually, there is some internal competition that are going, going on as well, that it's Fateh and Hamas kind of competing that we better represent the Palestinian uh, interest. And we are, the, we are the ones fighting Israel. So Hamas knows that if they fire rockets, they won't kill a lot of Israelis, but there will be blowback. But they keep doing that so that they come out in front of Palestinian people as someone who is fighting Israel. The internal politics is quite complex in Palestine as well. And it's one of the, it's one of the reasons why it is ruled so badly. Coming back to humanitarian uh, cost. Now, you, you look at how this conflict plays out. This is not the first time this is happening. This conflict always plays out in a similar, uh, in a similar side. Israel will do something in West Bank or in its... Uh, uh, or in its colonies in, in West Bank, what they are called. It's settlements. settlements. There will be blowback from the Hamas side. And then Israelis will attack very aggressively and very strongly against that particular blowback. Because Israelis then have a particular excuse that, see, we are fighting Hamas. They are, uh, they are terrorists. They are doing suicide bombings and all that stuff. This plays against... Israel is able to play that thing against Hamas. And to some extent to... Uh, to the West Bank as well, and that causes a lot of that causes a lot of humanitarian crisis because again Israel, in trying to maintain its fig, uh, its position as uh, as the right side, it it does a lot of things. For example, dropping pamphlets and all that things before they start a, a, a bombing run, but it eventually ends up killing more Palestinians. It eventually ends up killing children. It eventually ends up making the uh, making the Gaza people in Gaza Strip more angry. Which, and it just continues the cycle. It, this, this cycle of violence is actually very good for Israelis. Because then the Israelis, because then, the, then their other laws, the other kind of things they are doing in West Bank, all those uh, settlements, that, that becomes a secondary picture. The primary picture becomes that, see, Hamas is launching rockets on us. So that kind of cycle itself is very bad for Hamas. And you see... It's a result by the fact that Hamas is not actually uh, it's not actually covered by Israel on all sides. Hamas shares a border with Egypt, and that border is also closed. It is because this cycle of violence continues, and Hamas bring it, brings itself as a terrorist organization to the outer world that that border crossing is closed, and it 
causes a lot of humanitarian crisis to people living in Gaza Strip. Yeah, and and actually that that, that sorry sorry Vanda, but but that begs the question: uh, Is the Hamas really re- representing the Palestinian people? Because uh, all the actions of Hamas, uh, the, the only people that they hurt the most is actually the Palestinians. And uh, I, I mean, uh, the, the, although Hamas carries uh, the the outer uh, veneer of uh, representing Palestinian rights or sort of representing the Palestinian people in its violence, but it ends up hurting them the most. So uh, what I am trying to get at is that it is not actually uh, sort of driven by the Palestinian people themselves, but it is driven by the Arab powers who sort of surround uh, the area and and they're using Hamas as a tool against Israel. So uh, See, th- th- this uh, I- mm-hmm. regarding this, I find a lot of similarities between the Naxal movement and Hamas. So Hamas, when initially when it won the election in 1993, it didn't in 1993 it didn't win the election on the basis that we will bomb start start bombing Israel. Hamas actually did a lot of good work. They built a lot of mosques. They built a lot of hospitals. They built a lot of schools before before they won the election. Now, after what happened is a different issue. They started becoming more and more violent towards Israel. And again, once you become powerful, once you become the king, corruption starts seeping in. So similarly, similar to the way the Naxal started representing the tribal people in Jharkhand and Chhattisgarh, but today those tribal people do not like Naxals actually. If you listen to a lot of people, they do they do not like the CRPF, they do not like the Indian Army, but they do not like the Naxals either. It's a similar situation with uh, Gaza, people in Gaza Strip as well. Hamas is now seen as very corrupt. It is whatever it does, it ends up hurting the uh, people in Gaza Strip, and people in Gaza Strip are not that stupid. So Hamas is also losing that that public support. But Hamas, being the violent self it is, it has destroyed all the other opposition. so who else right so what i can see is that uh, everywhere it is a game of politics that is going on you know uh, back in 1948 when israel was the underdog before the war you know not talking after the war so it was up to the arab nations to act uh, you know uh, magnanimously and give them a position and a place to live which they did not they accelerated the war and as a result as a blowback uh, there was this first israel war that israel defeated them and after that israel has been growing stronger ever since and it has the support of uh, us while hamas uh, the palestine uh, just talking about the hamas and palestine as one the uh, palestine group uh, have only been growing weaker the political issue uh, the political parties according to me on the both side of israel and uh, palestine that is hamas Uh, do not want this war to stop because i think so this is what uh, keeps them going and this is what sets their mood netanyahu wants to set a, a general mood the right wing mood to uh, occupy complete uh, area and uh, term it as palestine uh, israel sorry and uh, i think so that is uh, something that is a problem of israel because now presently israel is a stronger party but uh, if 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 according to me if uh, the only solution Uh, that can end uh, the two state solution or stuff like that uh, i i don't actually think that a two state solution is also a possibility because uh, israel has uh, penetrated so much into palestines and there have been colonies of uh, israel's the settlements are you know scattered all over the uh, so called uh, palestine that it is very difficult to separate them so i think so the only solution uh, that can happen is when one of the superpower uh, in this case is israel Uh, you know uh, magnanimously uh, gives out or uh, you know it unilaterally stops the war and the people since they are uh, uh, they have realized the futility of war in both sides uh, the people remove the uh, ones in power uh, from the both countries uh, i think so that is the only way forward that i presently see but i don't think so this is going to come anytime soon uh, what are your views on this i think so this can be a final issue for this yeah yeah, yeah i, I, I think yeah we go yeah go ahead us Yeah, so I I was just uh, saying that. Uh, yeah, so uh, I I'll go. So so uh, I I was just saying that uh, you know power is temporary and grudges are permanent. So uh, I I mean whoever is more powerful now is, is sort will sort of cause the grudge and and it will it will uh, sort of fester upon itself until the other party becomes more powerful and and inflicts a greater grudge. So so this is a, a game of endless escalation where, where actually people. Uh, on the ground are are suffering uh, in, in this case the palestinians or the israelis who are in the attack so uh, so we uh, need the pacifist solution to this where it, it is agreed by both sides that war is bad and and it only causes bad things 
and uh, which is hard to do given the history uh, that these two sides have and the outside interference uh, that is there so uh, i i mean uh, i i don't claim to have a solution but the solution can definitely not be war yeah uh well that's i mean there's nothing there there will be nothing worse than having a permanent war in that region uh one thing politically i would say is that the settlements the israeli settlements complicate this issue a lot because today if you say that okay we'll adopt a two state solution and uh, israel please take your settlements back even if the israeli government even if there is a liberal government in israel which is against war and which from its heart is trying to bring those settlements back there are a lot of people in those settlements which are very hardcore uh, zanes and they have a dream of taking back ancient judea and samaria so the israeli government will have a very tough time convincing those people that now you go back to the israeli mainland and as vyas mentioned those settlements are like polka dots on a piece of uh, cloth they are everywhere and it's not like you can just carve a line on the map and which will perfectly divide those they are also very well connected by roads and everything and the palestinians have the palestinians have just been basically isolated to their pockets so dividing that piece of land it's going to be a very complicated issue because again israelis are not a bunch of one homogenous similarly thinking people there are a lot of there are a lot of israelis which for a lack of better word are trying to imitate what has happened with them in earlier not with the nazis but earlier when when they were kicked out of everywhere that that kind of thing will make it very difficult to find a peace formula for that region right so basically what uh, is coming out is what i can see is that unless uh, there is a political will this issue will never get solved and resolved and even if there is a political will that occurs on the both sides uh, there is this issue of people having a say and people ultimately are the uh, source of power uh, be it anywhere so i think so uh, the only solution uh, that can occur in the near future is that some nation you know or uh, maybe a portion of syria or the adjoining jordan or maybe the barren lands of egypt so some portion is given to hamas or palestine but the ultimate question still uh, will always remain and will always be debated around the jerusalem the uh, holiest sites uh, of uh, the zeus and third holiest of the uh, arabs and uh, uh, there there is this religion issue that will always uh, kick in and uh, chip in having said that uh, presently i don't think so any side is going to step down uh, not neither any house especially uh, but although there have been a uh, you know peace talks today uh, uh, that have been mediated by egypt between them but i don't think so uh, you know hamas does not have the power to fight a country like israel and uh, israel uh, headed by netanyahu does not have this intention of going slow on a country like hamas uh, which can give it uh, easy political wins uh, which he is bound to lose if the situation remains the same Uh, had these things not happened so i think so this will be my final take on it uh, for today right uh, now uh, we don't have much time for another topic you know i'll just uh, discuss one uh, small small issue like uh, we'll be taking present forms next time but a very small issue just re- regarding this it is just a funny incident our uh, audience can you know link to so uh, what i'm talking about is the qatar you know uh, qatar is a very uh, small country and it is not even a power in its region but it always tries to act as a super power you know always punching above its weight uh, qatar was banned a uh, few years back by the saudi arabia that flights could not fly over saudi arabia and now qatar is back into game because qatar has had uh, good ties with uh, israel and it was the second country uh, to normalize uh, ties with uh, israel after jordan in that region in the uh, arab nation so now uh, you know uh, recently the uh, prince the saudi prince himself received uh, the qatar uh, head and uh, on the airport and invited him and now qatar uh, qatar has a huge amount of uh, per capita income you know that is needless to say but uh, it is playing above its waist and i like how it is acting you know it is trying to act as a super power while its existence is only on the mercy of the nations that surround it so uh, it's it's just funny and uh, have, do you have some views on uh, this qatar uh, thing yeah you know, qatar Qatar I believe plays its card very well. So for example, America's largest air base in Middle East is in Qatar. 
And Qatar is what? Qatar is just Doha surrounded by desert. It, it's just a city surrounded by desert. If Saudi Arabia were to invade without any external issues, they will occupy it in two days. There is that that air base. Secondly, Al Jazeera. I mean, Al Jazeera did so many things back in Arab Spring. It does nothing against the Qatari government because, of course, it is owned by the Qatari government. But Al Jazeera itself toppled like three governments in uh, in uh, North Africa. Apart from that, Qatar being in GCC, it has very good relations with Iran as well. And Iran and Saudis for a long time did not see eye, uh, eye to eye. So it, it's very interesting how Qatar plays its geopolitics. It's something we should learn as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Vyas, your final views uh, on today's discussion? Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, Qatar is an example of uh, the, the, the the wider Middle East problem where there are a lot of cross interests. So there are a lot of... Yeah, so I... I I got a call, so let's yeah, yeah. So, right. So, uh, I think so. That is uh, it for today uh, for our discussion. Uh, unfortunately, we could only discuss two issues, but fortunately, we could discuss those issues in a very good depth, and our audience will link to what is exactly happening in the Israel uh, and the Palestinian, what the actual issue lies. You know, humanitarian press is always bad. Uh, you know, there's no uh, if and but when there is this mercy of lives of people dependent on other nation. You you cannot debate as to what Palestine did in past and what Israel did in past over what is happening present. You cannot justify your present over past. It is similar to the uh, Babri Masjid debate that had happened that we had a temple earlier and we had a mosque earlier and things things can go on. You know, it's it's just a bloody fight. The second issue that we discussed today was regarding the civil administrative reforms. That is again an endless issue. We can keep discussing about that and uh, there is no end to that. So unfortunately, we don't have a uh, very conclusive evident uh, uh, and solution for uh, both our issues today. But uh, I hope we'll have uh, some better issues next time uh, that have a solution to it. Uh, I would again like to thanks, uh, uh, thank uh, Abhay and Shubham Vyas for their you know, support and uh, for coming up and sharing their views on us. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be here, Panda. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. Bye. Bye.